Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experiences of field, and to share our members' stories. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another new edition of the Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. This week, we're heading north, and by north, I mean we're going to the Canadian border, Jackman, Maine. I will tell you, slightly bummed on this one, guys. I was supposed to be in the woods with our guest, the legendary deer tracker, Hal Blood of uh, Big Woods Bucks, and uh, pandemic being what it is, hit my family, so we had to uh, hunker down, and I had to reschedule what was going to be a cool in-person deal. Nevertheless, uh, through technology and all that, it is. Uh, we're going to Zoom this one. We're still going to catch up with Hal, get some great stories. We're going to Jackman. Let's go. You guys have a um, you have a one bird season up there in Jackman, Maine, right? In the spring? Yeah. You can kill one up here now. At least there's that. No, nothing in the fall. No, no. Seems to be a lot around. I mean, in the the summer and even now, they're you know they're bunched up again. You'll see ten or fifteen in bunches around town. You know. I think I saw my first long beard up that way, just down the street from your place in Moose River. There's a lone long beard during, um, must have been the first part of bear baiting season. So it would have been August time frame. They look good, look healthy. And sounds like, like you just said, um, from all accounts, they're, they're hanging around up there and, and making a living. Yeah. How's the snowpack up there? It's covered the ground. You know, I mean, it's probably here at the house. I don't know. Four or five inches. Wow. Nice. Yeah, up north is more. They out of that one storm we got the end uh, Thanksgiving day after Thanksgiving or whatever. They ended up getting about a foot up towards the border here. Yeah, it settled because we rained, and uh, we had freezing rain uh, Saturday. And some rain settled it down. Doesn't seem to be taking it away. It's now it's turned into like. Hard snow, you know, crusty and kind of hard snow. So it hasn't been taking it away, but uh, we need some snow to get after the coyotes now, you know. Is that the main focus now is is predator hunting and then working those deer yards or hunting around them to, to for predator control? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we do here in the winter. You know, other things too, you know. I'll go look for moose antlers just to get out and do something. I got I can't sit around inside, so yeah, I get outside to do something. Well, certainly that yeah. off season activity, I mean, it's gotta lend itself to what you've certainly become a, a legend and an expert at. Um, and learning learning what the deer are doing, reading sign, you know, all seasons and, and being able to formulate plans for when the, the season comes in and, and doing what you do and that's tracking. Yeah. After the season, there's really not much, you know, I don't go scout new areas. I don't do that after the season because the deer have not really now the deer are like getting into their 
places where they're going to either spend the uh, get ready to head to the deer yards. They're not, I mean, they're spread out, but they're not doing what they would be doing during the season. Where sure. You'd be looking to hunt them, you know? So no, I, I don't do any of that till spring. Uh, you know, as soon as the snow gets out, if I'm going to scout, that's when I do it. But I don't, I don't scout too much now. Let's just some place I thought of that I hadn't been to for 15, 20 years. I want to go look at again, you know, yep. I might go do that in the spring. But most of my scouting is actually done during the season, you know. Yeah. You're always hunting. I call it, if there's no snow, I'm still hunting slash scouting. If there, if there is snow and I'm tracking, I'm still scouting because sure. the bucks are going to take me everywhere you know, he goes and the other bucks go, you know. I thought your skill set and wanted to share it in your story with our audience, because, I mean, obviously we, we're, we're turkey centric. There's lots of new hunters coming into the fray. And, you know, we're always talking about how turkey hunting is a really engaging way to to recruit, retain hunters and get them involved. It's very exciting. Um, you think deer hunting and a lot of new hunters, especially like the, the fun term is the uh, adult onset hunter now, right? Uh, people coming into hunting at a latter age, don't really have mentors until they go to a, a turkey 101 or a deer hunting 101 kind of course. And the the idea of sitting in a tree for many hours is is intimidating. Uh, one, because there's a, a cost associated with it. There's equipment. Uh, it's arduous to ask someone that's never done it and may not have the uh, stamina or or any, the energy to hang out in a tree when it's freezing cold or or less. Uh, and the chance of maybe seeing a deer, especially up here in the Northeast, where you know it's challenging. It's not like you're you're hunting a ranch or you're hunting over you know uh, big uh, food plot areas. So you know the terrain lends itself to challenging hunts. So uh, my point is your style of hunting and what you've become very proficient at over many years of honing your craft is, is it's engaging. It, it reminds me of turkey hunting. It reminds me of, you know, running and gunning for turkeys. You're constantly moving. You're constantly engaging these animals and your woodmanship, uh, in my opinion, is far more superior than uh, just sitting in a tree because I, I suppose a, a fella or a gal could go out and see some deer in a field and kind of learn them over a season. So, okay, I, I see deer here. I'm going to put a tree stand over in that oak tree. That makes sense. But your, your way of deer hunting is it's uh, it's constantly, it's proactive, right? Yeah. We go to the deer. We don't wait for the deer to come to us. I say we, I mean, anybody that tracks. Uh, right. Most people that hunt the big woods, there are, there are a lot of people that hunt the big woods that actually do sit, but you, you got to find the right spot. You know, it's not, obviously there's no fields, but there's good places in the woods. And, you know, I learned right off back when I started guiding back in the early nineties that I would find these places that were great looking places. And I said, boy, if a guy could sit here, well, I could never do it, but I started putting clients there. You know, I'd, I'd have clients sit in those places and they was killing deer. So that's how I learned that the places actually were a good spot, you know? So yeah, but anyways, but other than that, yeah, I just, I can't, I never had any patience 
anyway. So <laughs> I just, I just adopted the, I'll go to them mode, you know? Right. I think but for, I, for, for new hunters, there's, there's an appeal there. There's uh there's opportunity for, for learning and engagement and they're getting, I, I would guess, and I would say so much more out of that, that hunting opportunity than just, uh, like you said, uh, waiting for the deer to come to you. It's, it's learning the landscape. It's learning, you know, your local flora and fauna and, uh, you know, just honing those woodman skills that, you know, uh, used to be a, an almost an automatic, uh, for folks that would come into the hunting ranks and now maybe not so much. Yeah, that's right. People, new hunters in the last seems like 20 years or so when the when the tv show started getting popular that's when that's when people started losing their 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 skills because those shows seemed to get popular when the deer uh the deer herd started exploding in the midwest and those places that really didn't have any deer mm. you know where some of the farm country reverted over and and that's where the TV shows got started, I think. And, and people started watching that and thinking that was the way to go because they'd see people shoot a deer from a tree stand out there and not, not thinking about how many hours that was put into that stand to make a, a half-hour TV show. Sure, you know right, I mean? right. They, don't, they never think about that. They say, oh, gee, just go sit in a tree. You're going to kill a nice buck. But. But yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no skills. There's no woodsman skills involved in that. You know, you just hang a tree stand up or get your blind and set it up and sit there and wait and hope one comes by. <clears throat> I mean, anybody can go see where there's tracks and you see there's tracks. So maybe if there's tracks, there's going to be deer again. So. But most of those people that do that, they don't, they know zero about what's going on outside of their view. You know, once, right. once you get into the woods, they have no idea what, what those deer are doing in there. So, uh, and, and how to hunt that way, because they have no skill for even walking around in the woods and being quiet and sneaky and blending in. Those are the skills that make a difference on 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 making a a hunter that's really what I'd call a good hunter. You know what I mean? Good hunter ain't somebody that can necessarily sit in a tree longer than anybody else. I mean, I don't take away from that because I can't do it. <laughs> and there's some sort of a skill involved with that, I guess, or a mindset or whatever. Sure. But it's it's not to me I just think of the word hunting as you're you're pursuing game. You know what I mean. You're not necessarily waiting for game to wander by. You know. So yeah, all the skills associated with that have been lost and they haven't been taught to the next generation. I think there's actually two generations gone by now that that haven't learned much of it. Yeah, but a lot of them are wanting to. I've noticed through our big woods business that people are really interested in it because they, I think they're getting a little bit maybe bored of the same old thing. Yeah. Know, watching, watching people shoot deer out of a tree stand in a bean field and, and, uh, 
they're ready for more of a challenge. You know what I mean? And totally agree. You know, yeah. So with uh, with our Big Woods Outfitters business, that's what people want. We have a lot of people that they just want to go and learn it. They want to get a guided hunt at first, and they want to see how it's done and be led around with a guide and figure it out. And then they'll probably go on their own and continue on if they like it. And they're not all going to like it because I've always said, I, I learned it a long time ago that, that people either love the big woods hunting or they hate it. Mm. doesn't seem to be any in between. Yeah. So they're going to keep coming or they're not. They, they'll show up and maybe do their week. Maybe they won't even stay the week. They just, it ain't their cup of tea. And so they're going to, go back to sitting in the stand or maybe go somewhere where they can see more deer or whatever they're going to do. But, but I'm finding the majority of the people that come, they do love it for, for different reasons. You know, they, they don't love it because they see deer every day and they pick out the one they want. That's not, they love the challenge of it. And they love the fact that there's some big old bucks you know, a, a pretty high percentage in the woods that once in a lifetime buck they might get a chance at. And uh, that's enough for them, you know. Sure. It's just to hunt, you know, being out there and not seeing other hunters. I mean, basically, most people that hunt up here, they, you know, you don't see other hunters in the woods very often. You know? It's certainly one of the appeals to, that style of hunting and especially in your area of the country um i i could say i could personally go out there and never see a deer but the solitude and the feeling of um i'm not gonna say exclusivity but you know i feel like i'm alone and i'm not running into another hunter and and for me that's a lot of my motivation that's why i started it i you know i i I got into hunting for uh, self-serving reasons to, and, and I kind of, as I grow in this and 20 plus years of, of being at it, you know, I, I, my motivations change a little bit, but I still like that solitude. And there's something about deer hunting, especially that I appreciate not seeing another human being, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but that's challenging, right? You know, with, uh, land use rules and you know i I've, I've told the audience before where we're at in the northeast specifically northern new england we're lucky that we have pretty lenient land sharing rules uh, that go back to our founding and, and we're lucky we still have that um a lot of the country does not so that that that's another challenge that allows it that plays into it i guess as well and, and can certainly frustrate some folks uh with your classes how what's the demo like are you seeing a lot of 30 and unders it seems like there's you mentioned a couple lost generations of woodsmen but it seems like and i don't even know what the the cultural colloquialism right now there's millennials and gen z's and all this i don't know what the under 30s are considered right now but that group seems to really take ownership especially when it comes to conservation and hunting uh, and land use issues and things like that but they're it's almost fashionable to do things in an old school sort of way. And I love where their heads are at. Uh, a lot of them are getting into trapping. 
you see them out there investing uh, in, in, in traps and running lines, water and upland sets. You see them wanting to take your courses and learn how to track deer and, and maybe, you know, not sitting in trees as much. Um, certainly you see that in the in the turkey woods in the spring. Do, are you seeing that same demographic play out uh, up there for your services and what you're offering? Um, you know, it's really. Between my classes and in the hunts at the lodge, it seems to be right, right across all ages. Yeah, I mean, I almost kind of evenly divided. We've got the younger crew, but we still get the older crew. You know, in their sixties. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, the uh, the young people grew up with the TV and you know, you know, watching people in the bean fields and. It's not their thing, you know, yeah. it's not, you know, I think they're bored with that kind of stuff and they want to learn something else. There's value to and then having an ownership in that and the whole process. Uh, I think that's why you see so many. That's why I see like this whole locavore movement, I think, doing so well is, you know, folks are going out there taking game and then they own the whole process all the way through. I don't necessarily know what that's doing for. For the butchering side of the house, I'm sure those folks are still gainfully employed, but a lot of folks are taking it, you know, soup the nuts all the way through. And and there's it's it's prideful and there's a story to be told and they enjoy telling those stories and then sharing the fruits of their labor. So it, it makes complete sense to me that folks are looking to be more proactive in their pursuits other than, like you said, just, you know, kind of sitting in a tree. Um I mean, again, I'm encouraged by that. I, I like to see more of that um, that style of of people uh, having a, a full understanding of of what's going on, because I think there's a there's a more of an appreciate. It's not just going out and killing something. Like it's it's artful. It, there's it's purposeful, and then younger folks start developing this philosophy behind it that. I'm, I hope that as they continue through their maturation and their hunting careers, that they're passing that on to the next people. Mentorship is a tough thing right now, and it has been for a long time. And you see so many folks getting involved in the different uh, nonprofits, especially, you know, with the National Wild Turkey Federation. We see a lot of people coming out of the woodwork to, to share information um, to ensure that more people are, are coming into our ranks and continuing on and continuing these traditions. So uh, being able to go out there and, and, and do what you do and decipher between what's a, a young buck and a deer of a lifetime simply by looking at their prints, their, you know, their tracks in the mud or the snow. Not a lot of people my age have that skill set, but it's cool to see more younger folks coming on and, and taking that on um, because, you know, eventually people are going to need those skills. I think they need them now, uh, but they, I guess uh, it's kind of like one of these, you kind of fake it till you make it. Like, I don't I don't want to downplay it so much. There's there's certainly value in people getting out there uh, and, and having their pursuits and hanging in a tree. And I, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm bagging on it. I just think it's, uh, in my opinion, there's so much to be taken from the experience by having a full breadth of knowledge and then being able to share that information. Because if you don't have people to pass that information on, eventually the stuff fades away and there's only so much you can get from a text in a book or, or, you know, yeah. reading online. Well, what I try to tell people 
what I'm teaching them is don't, especially in the track and in tracking, everybody wants to shoot a big buck. I get that, you know, but so what I tell, I tell these people is if you can, especially the new hunters or the new trackers, that's just getting, getting at it. If you can go out in this woods here and crack a spike horn down and shoot it, it's a far bigger accomplishment than just setting in a bean field somewhere and shooting a 150 inch buck. And I know to a lot of people listening, that might sound kind of strange or whatever it is, because they don't get it yet. You know what I mean? Mm. But, and I tell people when you're starting out tracking, don't be looking for the biggest tracks in the woods. Don't walk by a bunch of buck tracks because you think you've got to find the biggest one in the woods. Because those aren't the ones to learn on. Because those are the smartest bucks. Yeah, yeah. And if that's all you do is focus on those bucks, it's uh, it, you're going to learn some things, but you ain't going to have a lot of success probably for a while. Because those are the hard ones to kill. You yeah. gotta, you got to hone those skills first. I mean, you might, anybody can get lucky and get one of those, you know, the right circumstance, the right day. But I'm just saying overall, those are the ones that are going to really trip you up, you know? Mm. So a young buck, a yearling or a two-year-old buck, <clears throat> they haven't learned a lot yet. They're still savvy. I mean, they're all, all the deer in this woods are savvy but they just haven't learned as many tricks yet. They haven't been chased around even by coyotes as much. You know what I mean? The time they get six, seven, eight years old, they know the ropes pretty good. Yeah. They know how to, <clears throat> they know how to pick their places to stop, lay down. And, you know, they know how to evade predators because basically tracking we become the predator that's that's after the prey, mm -hmm. and they use they use the tricks. They don't know what we are really. Half the time, a lot of these deer here never even seen a human being anyway, so they don't know what's after them. They just know something's following them. They don't like it. Yeah. <clears throat> so they use the same tactics that they've always evaded coyote is basically the predator here so that's how they've stayed alive evading the coyote so they'll do the same thing to a hunter they'll walk in the water they'll walk they'll cross streams they'll walk up and down streams they'll swim across the pond they've learned that they've escaped from a coyote that way so they just continually do it you know mm. and the big ones have learned that more than any of the other ones you know so just take any buck track and practice because that's what you have to do. You start hunting in these woods and it's, I can, I can teach people everything I know and they're still not going to have uh, any experience at it. Right. Right. They're going to, they're going to get the idea of what things to do, but they don't have their own uh, base of experience to pull from. So you just have to go out there and get your own experiences because those are the ones you're going to remember. 
Absolutely. And all the failures that come with that is a lesson learned each time. Yep. You've got to fail your way to success. It's true in, in, in hunting is true in everything in life. Yeah. People that are afraid to fail at something, they'll never be good at anything. You know, they're too worried about failing at it. So they won't take the chance on something and try it. So you just got to go do it. Keep tracking them. I tell people to put it in perspective. It took me seven years to shoot my first buck tracking. Yeah. Now, granted, I didn't have anybody to teach me. I just went and floundered around on my own and tried to figure it out up here once I started hunting up in the big woods up north. And I just kept following tracks and, you know, seeing what they did. And and granted, in seven years, I mean, I didn't like hunt the whole season for seven years. Some of the years I might have hunted three or four days or something, you know, back when I was lobster. And I just, a lot of times I didn't have a lot of time. but. Hmm. for a good part of them years i had <clears throat> half of them years i probably had taken a week and in that week i didn't always have snow or have snow for a day or two but it just took time you know but once i did once i shot the first one tracking it was a 10 pointer actually a pretty nice buck um all of a sudden I don't want to say it became easy, but it was almost like a light bulb came on and I go, that's how it's done. Yeah. And then I just shot one after another for forever, you know, for years on end, you know. At my limited experience, so I, I will tell you, like, in the last four years, I've made a concerted effort to be on the ground. I've, I've ditched tree stands. Um, and started in the last two years, I've all but given up. Uh, cameras um, and really try to focus. And a lot of that comes from conversations I've had with you, uh, conversations I've had with Chris over the years. Um, you know, from my trapping days, I used to, I learned so much running lines, especially on uh, in riparian areas as I was trapping for beaver or muskrat or something like that. I'd always, I'd always anecdotally pick up stuff from deer that were there. Like, holy, you know, I, I never would have come over here thinking deer hunting. I'm obviously I'm here for these fur bearing critters, but it was teaching me so much. Um, so being on the ground for me has just, it's added this, this level, um, of a, a challenge of being able to be in that animal space. I mean, you talk about bow hunters, they like it because they like to get close and there's an intimacy, uh, with the deer and, 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 you know, everything that comes with that. Um, but when you're, I found when I'm tracking, like it's, it's the same intimacy and I'm, you know, you're having to go so slow and I'm a, I'm a, my speed is super fast. Anyway, I get told all the time to slow down. I don't know how to slow down and, and, you know, trying to track deer, especially in Southern New England or Southern New Hampshire, rather, where, you know, snowfall in the, and during the deer season comes at a premium. We had none this year. Uh, so I'm looking for mud and, you know, looking in leaves, but uh, my, I'm getting to my point. So there was like a two-step process for me and it kind of culminated this year. It took long enough. And I, and I immediately thought of, thought of you and thought of Chris, you know, I, I could track deer and eventually I'd, I'd see him or I'd bump him, but I'd always, I'd always end up finding the deer. Uh, this year I was able to finally sneak up on deer in their beds. 
And for me, and I didn't shoot, a shot never even got off. It's just, it's just, I also looked up and or down rather. And, you know, there, there that deer was, there were always those never come up on a buck, but I was like, I had felt for me in my hunting career, like I had, I had reached another level. Um, and I, I'm not saying it's like this level of proficiency or greatness. It's just for me personally, it was this, I just did something I had always wanted to do, never could do because I was moving too fast or I was being impatient about stuff. And and for me to do that, especially down here where there's so much pressure uh, from, from predators, from people, especially during the firearm season, that was a hell of a thing to, to witness and experience. And I just, I felt really accomplished by it. Yeah. It's a big deal to be able to see a deer laying in its bed because especially a, a buck and then really especially a, an old buck because uh, they don't let their guard down that much. Usually they're laying somewhere where they'll see you coming a long ways off or they're in a place where they can, they're going to be able to hear you or smell you before you ever get near them. So to be able to to see one like that it's quite an accomplishment and usually it comes with the right kind of conditions you know mm -hmm. you're not going to do it on any kind of conditions but it's a it's a big deal i've shot a fair amount of them good bucks laying in their beds but hey i'm gonna tell you they don't that they don't come easy no yeah. no not at all i i've heard it said uh you know just kind of tongue-in-cheek but uh practice hunters have said, you know, that the deer always have the wildlife always had the advantage, no matter how much technology we have or how much we think we know. Ultimately, these animals are in that space a hundred percent of the time. We go out there a few times a year, whatever that is, but it's always less than those animals. So they know every stick, every branch, everything that moves, every scent, and they've always got the advantage. Uh, and there's, there's truth in that. <clears throat> yeah, that's why we have to rely on the weather to level that playing field for us. So a lot of people don't like to hunt in the wind. Well, I get it if you're going to sit in a tree stand because it's probably not the most productive day, you know, especially a pretty good wind with the trees are swaying. Yeah. You know, the deer aren't going to move as much. And that's what I call buck killing days. Yeah. Because you see now with that wind, it kind of taken away all their senses because your scent, your, your odor isn't going to get 10 feet from you in a wind. <clears throat> the trees are in motion. So they don't pick up on your movement as quick. And it's making noise where they're not going to hear you. So you see now you've leveled that playing field like, like, almost even they still have the advantage yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's evened out pretty good and those are the days when you can you know those are the days i feel like if i get on a the buck i want to be on that i'm probably going to get that buck that day you know mm -hmm. so not just about going out on any day when there's snow and walking up and shooting a buck on his track that that don't happen that often you know so, but getting back to the, the skills that you learn doing it, you learn about the woods, you learn everything, how to walk, you know, how to navigate 
But those are the skills that will help you in any kind of hunting. I've always said, if you can hunt successfully for, for deer in the big woods, everything else, every other animal is just easier. And people might want to argue with that, but if they do, they haven't hunted in the big woods because anybody that hunts here agrees to that, that once you can be successful in the big woods, just going to hunt, even turkeys. I learned years ago, <clears throat> before we ever had a turkey season in Maine, one of my clients invited me to come down to uh, Connecticut to turkey hunt. Mm -hmm back in the nineties. And, uh, you know, he was always would telling me about it and how cagey they are and, you know, all of this stuff and what you got to do. And well, he took me the first year and called, you know, I didn't know nothing about it. I bought, I bought a box call, some camo overalls and, uh, I think a, a turkey vest. Yeah. <clears throat> and I went, but he called a bird in for me and I shot it. And I said, I thought to myself the whole time, I don't see where this is that big of a deal. So the next year, uh, my wife, Deb went with us, with me down there and he took her and I went on my own and I called a bird from over a half a mile away that was closer to them. He was trying to call that bird and I called it away from him <laughs> to me and shot it. And uh, not that I really knew that much about what I was doing, but I just, I had a thought process of what needed to be done there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had to, I had to convince that, that long beard that I was a hen and, I did it and I had experience with moose hunting too, which is very similar to turkey hunting because you're interactive with them. And I knew enough even then, my first time, don't call too much and don't, yeah. you know, just kind of see what that bird is doing before you get overactive there. And and then I just started killing birds every year. We'd go down there and then go to New York. And to me, it was actually easy. Yeah. And so I didn't think it was a big deal. The same way when I, <clears throat> it, it turned into my moose hunting because I was, I started guiding moose hunters here pretty much when I did deer hunters. And so that helped me with the moose hunting too. You know, you've got to, you know, think about where they're going to be and being quiet and getting around them, using the wind, all that stuff. I went out elk hunting. Started doing that 10, 12 years ago. Everybody talked about how it was to call elk or get an elk and all of that stuff. I didn't think it was too hard at all. You know what I mean? Once you see what they're doing, you 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 see what their pattern is and their behavior is, then it's just a matter of being able to uh you know, for them, it was more spot and stock and calling and all of that. But same thing, you you had to use a technique and you had to use woodsman skills to make it happen, you know? Yeah. 
So, like I said, if you can you can practice here and get good at hunting in the big woods, you whatever else you hunt for, it's going to really help you out. You know, a skill set is transferable, and you know it's uh, it comes back to just having a full a full breadth of knowledge and not just trying to replicate a 23 minute television show, right? Cause that's in fact, not reality as much as it, it tries to portray itself as reality television. It's not because you alluded to it earlier. No one understands the days, weeks and months of work that went into producing that particular 23 minute show. Uh, there's just so much more to that, but there's a generational expectation that, okay, I can go out there and do this anywhere in the world because I watch this TV show every week or these TV shows every week. And I bought all the fanciest, coolest gear because they told me it was great. Uh, despite the next year, they, <laughs> they went another way and told me that gear was great. So, you know, there's having some authenticity and really just putting in the work, uh, you know, without sounding too cocky about it, you know, Saying something is easy doesn't make you arrogant. It just means you have, I think in this particular case, you have a, a set of skills that it's not as challenging uh, to go out and, and be successful in those pursuits because you have put the, the groundwork in. You have a foundation, uh, this skill set that allows you to build upon itself. Um, that certainly wasn't easy to attain. It takes years of dedication and study and practice and per being purposeful in that, in that trade. Um, I, I, we did ourselves a disservice and I think lost a lot of opportunity to grow our, our ranks um, because of television. Now it's a double-edged sword, right? Because without that promotional feature of television, uh, would people have be interested in the first place to go on these adventure hunts or travel the world or the countryside going. I, I mean, I can't answer that question. And I, I don't know if anyone can accurately answer it, but you know, it's all water under the bridge at this point. Um, but I think testimonies like yours and hearing someone like yourself talk about these things, you know, that it, it, it refocuses the conversation and allows people to uh, maybe have more humility in their pursuits and understand like this is a work in progress. Don't, don't expect to go out there and whack a monster gobbler your first spring. Don't expect to go out there and find a, you know, four inches of fresh powder and expect you're going to kill a, a 10 point buck in his bed. It's just likely not going to happen. It's an unrealistic expectation. You know, I tell the people, you know, a lot of them that call about coming up here, hunting and stuff. They'll ask what their chances of shooting a good buck are. And I, I tell them pretty slim, <laughs> not going to lie to them because yeah. it is yeah, right. And as long as they know that, and some people, when they hear that, they go somewhere else, you know, they're going to go sit in the bean field, but that's the reality of it. It's, it's pretty slim. So you got to work at it and you got to, you know, you, some people do get lucky. You know I mean? I've had hunters shoot great big bucks the first day they ever came here. You know, it's not, but, but it's not the normal. So you just, you go and you, you practice and you hone your skills. And if you are 
<clears throat> successful or you do, I don't call successful killing something. I just, you're successful if you get out there and you're in the game, you know, sure. That's a success as it is, but say it, say somebody comes up and they work at it and they shoot a spike horn or a crotch horn buck the first year or second year they do it. Now they have something to build on. Now they can say, okay, I've done that. Now I want to get a rack buck, you know, and you can keep setting your goal a little bit higher. Yeah. doesn't mean you won't get a monster buck, but, but now all of a sudden the guy can say, well, I'm not going to, I want to really focus on doing a little, getting a better buck. So I'm willing to let a yielding buck go by now. And then that's how it works. Because yeah. when I grew up hunting, I mean, it was, there was no bucks only anyways, back in the sixties, it wasn't until the eighties, but it was like the old saying Brown is down. Yeah, you know, yeah, it didn't yeah. really matter. And, and to me, they were all trophies. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't think anything different about it. because Nobody on TV telling us right. what a trophy was. That's exactly right. And you kill a buck up here, no matter what it is, it's a trophy. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's a trophy. And, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it's just, you people have to look at it with a, uh, a different perspective. And I've seen the, the problem I've seen with the TV too, is it's, it's made it hard for the kids to have the right perspective. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause they'll watch TV and see these little kids, six, seven, eight years old out in a bean field, shooting a great big buck. And they think that's what they want to do. Well, they may not have access to that bean field. Right. Know? So they, they can't look at things that way, but. And that's the double-edged sword of it. Yeah, the TV promotes things, and and but but one thing I have noticed too is, and I mean you know, I've been at it for over thirty years in the guiding industry. People seem to be looking for the easy way to to do it now, mm. and I think that's happened through the commercialization. You know, people aren't willing to just throw their wool clothes on and get out there and hunt. They got to, they think they got to have exactly the right clothing or what they think is what they've been told is mm -hmm. in the right camo pattern. Uh, or they're, they're not going to be successful. They're not going to shoot a deer or they're not going to shoot a turkey or whatever it is they're hunting. And they've been convinced through TV that, that, there's an answer by buying something you can purchase something and it's going to make it easier. Right. And nothing's further than, than the truth. It isn't anything about the best grunt call or the best camo or the best type of deer urine or whatever else you can come up with the best kind of trail. It's none of that. Everybody thinks that's the answer and they keep going and buying all this stuff. And it's not the answer. The answer is, is to hone your skills like we've been talking about. Right. That's what's going to up your odds. So. That's exactly right. Because, you know, I, 
obviously my my crazy passions lie in the spring woods, right? We've talked about it in the past and I've been known to be a, a walking Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop with my, my loaded down turkey vest. But ultimately for me, you know, my ability to to fill tags at this point, it's instinctual. You do it so much so long and, you know, not not hopping state to state to state. I mean, I, I honed it, honed my craft uh, by by hunting my backyard more or less for years, you know, backyard figuratively speaking, uh, just staying in southern New Hampshire, learning these birds, pressured birds. But, all you know, now and I go out and I hear a bird do something or it, it reacts in a certain way like you, like I, I don't need a camera. I don't need some technology to tell me what that bird's in. I, I already have a, a damn good idea uh, that bird's intentions, where he's going. Maybe if he's with other birds, like I just, I just understand this stuff. You can just, you start visualizing it and say, okay, it's just, this is, and it's all based off of experience. It's a sunny day. It's a low wind day. That bird's going to end up over here and either in this piece of hardwood, or he's going to head to this, this field edge at this time of day. And, and you, you rely on those experiences to teach you no, no amount of accoutrement in that vest is going to help me get that Turkey other than, you know, maybe finishing the job, but I had to have the wherewithal to get, to be in position to make that even an opportunity. Right. It's the yep. same, same thing with like, you're talking about with the deer. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Just get the experience and, and, uh, keep honing it, you know? And, I, I wanted to ask you while we're talking about, I don't know if, I don't know what it was about this season in particular. It seemed like a lot of large rack deer, especially in our home range of, of New England, um, were harvested. Were taken this year. I I've, I can't remember a particular season where I saw so many people. Um, you know, and I'll, I'm not discar- disparaging any of my friends socially, but let's just call it what it is: average hunters, guys that you know only get out maybe once or twice a week. You know, they're working and busting their tails sixty hours a week at their job, supporting families, and so many of these folks were rewarded this year. And I don't know if it was luck. I don't know if the herd over the last couple of years was allowed to reach a level of maturity, but like it seemed like, and this, and it across the country as well. It wasn't just here, but it was, um, it was really a remarkable thing to sit back and kind of watch this all unfold over the last few months. Did you, you got an opinion on that or did you, did you see the same thing? Yeah. Cause <clears throat> during hunting season, I'm not on social media too much. I got to right. have a presence there because, uh, you know, I got to check our big woods pages and just see if there's anything I tend to, but I kind of go off during deer season, but I do going through some things. I do see the pictures and yeah, there was a lot of nice bucks taken and, um, there was in this country too. And there was, what I was surprised about was how many, how many nice rack bucks were taken in this country that didn't have the body weight to match because usually they do. Hmm. There was a lot of nice rack bucks taken up here that were 160 pounds. And that's, that's rare. Right. Usually our 160 pound deer are two and a half year old deer and they got basket type racks. Um, 
so yeah, so I did notice it. Uh, the one, the other thing that I noticed was, and that's just a localized thing to the north up here, was the number of 200 pound bucks is down mm. uh, in the north. I don't know. And, and in the south, they don't shoot that many of them anyways, but it's definitely down here. And I attribute that. That usually cycles around the snow. We had really poor snow conditions again this year, like last year. Um, you know, we get a little snow and it was mostly in the high elevations and uh, like way up high. And it, usually that's where there's not as many deer. And if, if you do go up there and find a buck track, you ain't going to stay there. You're going to chase them down off the mountain and you're on bare ground anyway. Mm. So that's one reason. And the other reason I believe is the, it seems like the amount of those older bucks is down some because we had before the before last year we had two years in a row with snow pretty much the whole season right through muzzleloader mm -hmm. and there was a lot of big bucks taken i think one of those years a couple of years ago here in jackman one out of every four and a half bucks tag was over 200 wow think about that statistic so when you kill that many of those big old bucks off in a couple of years, some more have got to grow because we don't have a, a dense deer population anyway. Do you know what I mean? Right. So those deer are coming from the whole big area. And I mean, most of them travel 10, 15 miles anyway. So you've kind of lowered the population of those old ones. Now, the good news is, is there's a lot of, there's a lot of nice medium sized buck tracks in the woods, more than I think I've ever seen hmm. this year. Lots and lots of them. I probably, <clears throat> what little snow we had and some of it, you know, I'd hunt high and hunt some of them places that had some snow, but I saw lots and lots of those decent buck tracks. A lot of times I call them like a, I call them an either or track. They're, they're right around 200 pounds. Mm. They might be 190. They might be 210, you know, but they're not, they're not into that next age class yet, but now they're going to be, there's a lot, a lot of them were shot and a lot of young bucks were shot here uh, because the number was up because last winter was, that was the other factor was, and I think in the antlers too, was we had a extremely mild winter last year, um, both in the snow depth and in the temperatures. Mm -hmm. When I say mild for up here, I mean we didn't get we didn't get much of that 20, 30 below like we can get, you know. Right. We got some of it, but it it didn't prolong, you know, we'd get a 20 below for a few days and then it might come up in the teens or something. So all the deer made it. So all those all those fawn bucks made it last winter, mm -hmm. which made a lot of yielding bucks to shoot this year. And when they come out of the winter in good shape, that new growth will go immediately into their racks because their body isn't wrung out too bad, you know. Mm. So 
that's my opinion on it in the north. That doesn't matter in the south because they don't have bad winters anyway. You know what I mean? Right, if they right. get a bunch of snow, it doesn't even last a month anyway. Right. A deer can, in the wintertime can lay down, not eat for a month and still be fine, you know. So, anyways, that's that's my opinion on that. But, yes, I, I, I've seen a lot of nice nice racks from here and other places and and uh i think it's just the deer herds has come up and the winners have helped out i'm I'm curious to see what that looks like next year especially where again here in the northeast uh hard mast i i don't think i could have found an acorn and looking for two weeks down here the the, the mass crop was was way down for you know, a couple of years prior, it was almost like you had two or three years of bumper crop back to back to back. And there was just a smorgasbord out there. Was so much food that it was, you know, I was tripping on almost breaking my ankle in my front yard. There's so many acorns left over. And this year, like almost nothing. Yeah, well, those mass crops, they don't, they're usually cyclic, you know. Yeah. Years every couple of years or three years. But I don't, we don't have that up here, you know, even beech nuts, people talk about that, but the deer hardly ever get a beech nut anyways. The bears have got them all before they that's, that's right. hit the ground. That's right. <laughs> so they're not getting, and I, I've never seen where the deer go anywhere with his beech nuts. It's just never enough to really draw, draw the deer there, you know, mm-hmm. but there's always plenty of food. I said down southern Maine, southern New Hampshire. I don't know about that. We don't need mass crops. There's there's so much feed in the woods in the north for half the year that it doesn't matter. I mean, Mm. it could hold 10 times the amount of deer. It's just that they don't have the places to make the winter anymore. So that's a controlling factor on the deer herd in the north anyways. Because now it's built up. It's really... We built up remarkably around this area, and I, I almost can't believe it. It's, it's some places it's it's back to where it was, and they call the good old days. You know what I mean? Um, you don't notice it as much till you get the snow and see the tracks. But sure, when I, when we got the snow there, and I hunted, I hunted uh, muzzleloader season. I had a, a cameraman come up. That was really I only hunted. Because I don't hunt much with no snow. I, I'm trying to make them films for people. And so I waited and waited on the snow and looked around for it. It was marginal. And when we finally did get it, my cameraman, Jason, came up and we went after it. But I remember driving in one one of the logging roads around here. And I couldn't believe the amount of deer tracks crossing the road on the fresh snow mm. i mean i think the first day in about an eight mile stretch was probably 25 tracks across the road which is unheard of here i've i've seen years when you could drive 20 miles and maybe see one or two deer tracks you mm. know crossing so it's uh it's it's really the deer herd is up and but that can all go away in one winter. Sure. I mean, we can have a deer herd like that. We could get a really bad winter and kill half the deer off. 
Yeah. Because it, it happens periodically. It, it happened in 2007 and eight. We had two bad winters and it knocked the deer herd way down. Here it was about probably in half. There were some of the deer yards north of here, Pitts and Farm one. They, they think about 85% of the deer died off that. Wow. Morning. That's incredible. It takes a long time to come back from that. They can come back fairly quick from 50%. But when you go down to 85, it don't come back very quick. That's crazy. Those, that's, those are huge numbers to consider. <laughs> it's just crazy. When, um, when you when you were traveling those roads, so I mean, I, something I want to ask you, you know, and the audience is certainly by this point, uh, curiosity's peaked. When you're looking at a track, what 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 characteristics of that track, especially when you have twenty five different tracks to look at, how are you knowing which one to to go after? What is what is that track saying to you as you're looking at it and it's communicating to you this one right here? This is the one I'm going to invest my day on or days. It's big. It's big. <laughs> That's it. It's big. <laughs> well, out of them 25 tracks, probably 20 of them was does and fawns. Yeah. You know? So you just, you don't even stop and look at those. You know, you look at a, a big track, if it's by itself, or you see it dragging its feet across the road, them's the ones you get out and look at. But I, like I said, I, I shot enough deer, enough bucks up here. I don't, I don't feel I have to shoot one every year. And I actually, I didn't this year. I, I did, I did Nick one and I, I saw three big bucks this year and, uh, uh, one, I got a chance, one, I got a quick shot at, but I'm just looking for the biggest, I call them toe draggers or square toed bucks. Mm -hmm. Those are the only ones I take, which is about, one or two percent of the whole deer track population you know what i mean right right so when i'm looking for those it's a hard find you know what i mean right i can find one most days but i have days go by when i just can't find one of those tracks so i have days i go all day and i don't i don't take the track i mean i'm, I'm walking all day looking for one because i don't ride the roads looking for tracks i ride the road to get where I'm going, then I get in the woods and, and hunt, look for a track. Yeah. Because for every, for every buck track that you, that you see in a road, crossing a road, there's 10 more in the woods you didn't see. Sure. They don't, those big ones don't cross roads all that much in a lot of places. Some places they have to, the road system is just, just enough of a road system where they couldn't go away without doing it. But right. They don't, those big ones don't cross the road as much. They don't have to. But I'm looking for a, a track that's, I call them three by three, you know, they're three inches wide and they're never three by three. It's just easy to say three by three, sure. you know, but anything that's three inches wide is one of those big old, old, old deer. It's not, it's not going to tell you about the weight. Everybody thinks it can tell you. You know, the bigger the track, the more it weighs. And that's not true. It just tells you it's older. Because you can shoot a buck that's 10 years old here. And he may never weigh more than 200. Mm. You know, uh, the one on the cover of my first book, 
that buck was seven and a half years old and I shot him, I think Tuesday of the second week. And he weighed 200, dressed 200 right on the nose. Yeah. Just a short, stocky deer. He was never going to weigh any more than that. So, it, but he had a big track. He had a big brown track. And so, but that tells you it's an older buck. When they get, when the toes, the toes are rounded and they don't, when they walk, the toes don't come together. They're kind of straight ahead. You yeah. know, they don't pinch together into a point. Uh, those are the old bucks. Those are the ones I look for. And they're generally three wide and three and a half long. I got on one this year. I did find one. Actually, there was two about the same, and I ended up on one of them. And that was one of the ones that I call, it's about as big as a track as you'll ever find in the woods, you know. It was probably over, I didn't measure it, but it was probably, it was at least three wide and at least four inches long. Wow. And the dew claws were back to maybe two to three inches behind the print. Those are those big big old old bucks you know so that's the ones i look for uh i said you can tell them those are the ones that are usually dragging their feet even in like an inch of snow they'll drag their feet along Mm. Uh, that's just tells you it's an old buck and that's the ones i look for so i'm limiting myself to a very small population of deer or bucks that i'm looking for but i i tell new people don't do that because you'll you'll discourage yourself (laughs) if that's what you if that's what you're trying to find one thing when you're new at it you're not going to know where to go find those tracks you might get lucky and randomly find one yeah but a lot of times those bucks have certain ways they travel where they don't show up in the cuttings and crossing roads and all that stuff you got to know how to navigate the woods to have a chance to find one of them tracks you know yeah yeah i tell i tell people if you're new at it just go take any track that's by itself as long as it doesn't look tiny or something but sure looks like an average track or regular sized deer track and it's by itself get on it and follow it see what See if you can get a look at that deer. Hey, it might be a big doe. So what? You caught up to it. You saw it. And that's half the battle of tracking is being able to see a deer ahead of you on a track. Might be a yielding buck, a spike or a crotch. Maybe you can get a shot at it. And and you prove you can do it there, you know. Mm. And you get confidence. And then you just... Maybe set your sights a little higher. That's all. It really is. It really is an experience that you just you you have to you have to experience it. And you're you know, I come back to it. You can watch a, a hundred videos of of Hal Blood and his team going out there doing it. You can read all the books on it, which are fantastic information. Until you actually do these things, you're not going to have that that first person knowledge of the nuance 
of that experience. And, you know, I, I, when, as you were just talking about, I was thinking about, I was putting myself in that, that headspace of looking at the track, evaluating it. And then I started going through experiences I've had. And one of the things that was always a challenge and still is a challenge to me is I get fixated on that track. I never look up. <laughs> I never slow down. I'm just like track, track, like a, like a bird dog. Just I'm going, I'm going. Um, and that's, it's, I don't know if it's, uh, it's exciting, right? So you're kind of addicted to that, that little adrenaline spike and like, Oh, I got something here. It's fresh. And, and I'm going to do all I can. And I never, you know, for, for years, I just never looked up and I'd end up, the deer would be not very far in front of me and the deer starts taking off. And I, I would act surprised by this deer being there, but that was the whole intention, right? That was the irony of it was I'm literally on this track. I know there's a deer I'm in pursuit of yet. I'm still astonished that I ran into this deer and that was the whole point of it. And oh, it may always kind of made me laugh after the fact. Well, I call that beagling and most people knew when they knew at it, yep. they do it. They, they're always fixated on the track because they're worried about maybe losing the track. Um, but, and I get it. You have to do it. If you get mixed in with some tracks, you've sure. got to figure out that the one you want, but, but other than that, you got to teach yourself it's just part of the training process. That's exactly right. Not to look at it. I just look at the track. When I look at the track, I look where it goes. As far as it goes, if I see it go up 30, 40 yards ahead of me, and then I just go ahead and I don't look down again. Mm -hmm. And then half the time, all you got to do is glance. If it's off by itself, which is easier if it's just a track by itself, just glance at it once in a while to keep you headed the right way and just look around. Mm -hmm. You start to be able to anticipate or forecast where they're going to when you get used to a certain area, a certain plot of land. You know the the tendencies and you know what those trail systems look like with snow, without snow, you know, and you can start start utilizing that information, that intel to your advantage. Well, you can do a point, I guess, but up here when them bucks get traveling, even I don't figure it out. It's I'm thinking all the time, he's going here, no, he's going there, mm. no, must be going here, must be doing this, must be doing that. I, You don't know what's in the mind. You try to get in the mindset of him the best you can, but you got to remember that buck, everything he's doing, he's doing through his nose. You think yeah. he's just going somewhere because it's in his mind, but his nose is taking him certain places. He might be headed in one place. And he veers off course because he smelt something somewhere else. Mm. So he'll veer and head right off course, you know, and get, maybe he'll get with a doe and get mixed up and stay with her or whatever it is. But they just do some real odd things. Sometimes they're trying to get cross country in the straightest line they can, and they don't care what they got to stomp through to get there. They just go straight. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they get kind of crazy like that. You had an interesting experience recently that, that was shared out. Um, you found a doe that was kind of chewed on, but there was initially it looked like a, a coyote kill, but you had started to evaluate and kind of do forensics on the 
the area and, and you kind of came to a, a you discerned that it wasn't necessarily a coyote kill. You want to talk about that experience? I think, cause I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. I tell, I tell people this, I had that basically a week of snow there during muzzleloader season. And it ended up towards the end. It got crusty anyway, but we had some good days in the beginning, nice powder snow, you know, four or five inches, just right. Mm. And, uh, that buck was actually the one I was just talking about that had about as big as track as you'll ever see. And I never did catch up to him that day because I, it took me so long to figure it out because there was two big ones. I, I come across where they had sparred a little bit, didn't really fight. They'd sparred and they'd chase some does around this, this area. And it was so tracked up. I had to split it into like, quarters to figure out where one of them went out of there because mm. it was a big area i mean it was it was probably oh nearly nearly a half a square mile well when you're trying to break something like that down it takes time to circle keep circling that piece you know mm. but so it took me so long to get out of there it cost me pretty much half my hunting day to get just to get it lined out. Hmm. But I did anyways. And I got one of them bucks out of there and, and uh, he headed cross country and he got to this. Uh, well, he was going through some different stages of cuts, some old cuts and whatever, but he got down into one of these old hardwood cuts with a lot of, whips and raspberries and stuff mm -hmm. and he started zigzagging which he hadn't been doing because he was really bucks that was and I, I i think it's about the only one i've ever seen during muzzleloader season that acted like that like he was like seemed like he was right in full rut like mm. he was he was snapping trees with his antlers and making scrapes every 100 200 yards i mean they don't usually do that that time of year they're getting tired and they just they're just trying to maybe search around for one more doe but they don't leave a lot of sign but boy this one did he was he was really horned right out but anyways he got to this going down through this cut and he started zigzagging back and forth and uh finally he came down to a Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Can edit that out. No, no problem. It was my son. Um, so anyways, he was zigzagging down through there, and then all of a sudden I come to this spot that's matted down, and I've seen, you know, where bucks have fought a hundred times, and that's what it looked like. I said, holy smokes. I said, he come with another buck here. And there was a knockdown drag out because it was flattened for 50 feet by 50 feet. All right. Everything, the, the snow was matted right to the, right to the grass and the brush. And then I started seeing some drops of blood on the ground and then, then on a couple of little whippets and stuff. And I'm like, boy, this was serious here. Hmm. So I'm looking around 
and there was a kind of a spruce tree there with the snow on it. I walked around that and I see a, a dead deer and I'm like, I kind of surprised me, you know, and I was no, ant- I expected it to be a buck, you know? Yeah. There's no antlers on it. And I go, it's a doe. And then I looked at it and the hind quarter was eating a little bit, but not, not much. You know, it was like it was opened up, but it wasn't eating a lot. Which at first glance, I thought, boy, usually when the coyotes find a deer, you know, it's half gone in the night or maybe all gone. Sure. A bunch of them find it. And the hair was all pulled out, plucked out, like right in that spot. And it was probably, I wouldn't say there was more than five pounds of meat eaten off the hindquarter. Well, I thought it was odd. I said, well... I told my cameraman, I said, I can't believe the coyotes could have killed a deer in these conditions because the, the conditions really favored a deer. You know, in that in cots, a deer can jump over all that stuff and the coyote can't get through it. Right. So I looked around, I go, well, I don't know. I guess maybe that's what happened. So I said, well, I got to find his track coming out. So I, I circled around and I didn't have to go like more than 20 or 30 feet outside of that flattened spot to eliminate the tracks. And then, and when I found, I found, a, I found a few tracks coming and going from the coyotes. And I say, if it, it was either coyotes or maybe a big fox too, but there was no big coyote tracks and those little coyotes don't hardly, they're not going to catch a deer, you know? Sure. They just ain't even a year old yet. And I circled around and found where the buck come out. And when he come out, he was walking. And then I said, I thought it was odd that a buck would walk down there if the coyotes were eating on a deer. Mm. You know, none of it added up to me. You know? Sure. And then he walked out. He went into that spot. And then he walked out of the spot, kind of back in the direction he was coming from, like at an angle, like he was back on course. And there was no other tracks. There was not one running deer track or one running coyote track coming or going or around it. Mm. So, and I've seen where coyotes have killed a deer many a times. There's going to be running tracks and there's going to be struggling tracks where right. they got a hold of the hamstrings and got it bleeding and then there's blood spurting out and it goes around in circles and they're dragging the deer and the deer's dragging the there was none of that. Hmm. It was just looked like a buck fight. So that's when I had to conclude that that buck just come down there and I could see the doe's bed just outside of the, all the track. She must've stood up or something or been there feeding or something. And he just blindsided her and knocked her down with his antlers and just kept pushing her all around that spot and got his horns obviously into her and just killed her. It's crazy. It was, it was really bizarre. I've never, I'd never heard of it. Never seen it. If I hadn't seen it, I probably wouldn't have believed somebody else. (laughs) But it was bizarre. And then he just, he headed off in the same direction he was headed and never stopped again. That was it. And I, at three o'clock, he crossed the river and I was miles from the truck. No. So I had to turn around and go back. 
and the track never I still never got the track freshened up. Hmm. And uh so anyways, people ask me if I thought I was gonna go back and get on it and it's really no sense because if you don't catch up to it one day, now you're two and a half days behind. Right. You're not gonna catch up, you know. So that was bizarre, but I had it was a funny week that way, but different things that happened. That was that week I <clears throat> I give that one a little haircut there, the other buck, a nice nice buck there, and then another one all in the same week. I got on one that took me on a crazy chase. I jumped him. He went cross country, oh, probably three miles up over these big high ridges and finally bedded down right in the worst rabbit cover. And I jumped <laughs> him out of the air and, and, uh, he got up in the thickest crap you could ever imagine. And he would crawl through that looking for does. Forgot about me after I jumped it. And I was beginning to wonder if he had any antlers. I said, how does this thing get through here? But I've been yeah. on, I've shot one like that before. I got one, I call my fat horn buck and he had thick, heavy horns, the heaviest horn when I've shot here in Maine. And they, they're like, five inches apart at the tips and and they, he's not real wide. He's just heavy, but he just pushed his way through as well. And he was one of them square toed ones. And he finally got into these ledges and he did something I've never, I've seen him go down off of like bluffs or kind of cliffs. I've seen him jump down off that, especially if there's like fir trees on them. They just kind of like jump through the fir trees it's crazy. And land at the bottom <laughs> 20, 30 feet down. I've seen that a lot of times. But when he got to this ledgy cliff, it was a hundred feet down. Jeez. And I'm looking down there and I'm like, his track's going down. I can see it sliding down over there. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I said, I don't believe this this buck went down over that. Billy goaded his way down. He did, and he went down over. So I started sliding down, and I'd have to hang on to things. <laughs> he gets down there about halfway, and his there's like little shelves, like little mossy shelves, a couple three feet wide all the way down. And he'd hit one of them and go over, and then he'd slide down some more. But when he got halfway down, it came to a sheer rock cliff for another. I'd say 50 feet, mm. a long way. And it was just nothing but a rock face. And he, he knew he couldn't go down that. So he walked across sideways along this shelf and turned around and started back up. And he would jump up over these ledges eight feet high. Wow. You'd see where a foot might hit the side of the ledge, like these ledges had like moss on them. Yeah. And he would jump up on this ledge and it'd be another little mossy shelf. And then he'd walk over to the, find the next spot. And then he'd jump again up onto the next ledge all the way back to the top. He did that. Well, it probably took him two minutes, but it took <laughs> us a half an hour to get back up. Uh -huh. I'd have to. I'd have to push my gun up on a shelf and get a hold of something and get some foot and get a hold of a tree and pull myself up, get on that shelf, dust off, pick up my gun, go over to the next one, do the same thing. It was ridiculous. 
And uh, but that's some of the stuff you see when you get on them old box. They just do the craziest yeah. stuff you can't even imagine. And I finally got a look at him at the end of the day. Finally, he got so far ahead of me then because I waited a half an hour when I jumped him, and he did that. No, I lost another half an hour there. And uh, he actually headed back down from towards where I came from, which was good news in the afternoon when it's headed back towards the truck. You know? <laughs> he headed all the way back down that. It's like a long, like I said, it's more like going up a long mountain, you know. Mm. And uh, he got down to the bottom. And he finally, he got into this. He crossed the stream two or three times. And then he got into this thicket. And he started feeding on a blown down fur with moss on it. And uh, I knew he was going to be right there. His track freshened right up. And I think at that point, it was already too late. It was kind of noisy in there. But <clears throat> bumped him out of there. And about 20 minutes later, I was back in my boot tracks. He was walking up my boot tracks. No kidding. From the morning where we kind of started there yeah and he went up around up back up started back up the ridge again in a like a an old cut and that was pretty steep and slippery and i'm pulling my way up there and just as i kind of got crested and trying to get my foot and i see him take off he was up there looking back and he took off broadside but by the time i got the gun going i i couldn't get a shot but um, he was a nice looking deer, but he didn't have from the side. He didn't look like he had a big rack. He didn't have one of them nice racks that come ahead on him. They look, he kind of was short changed on his horns. <laughs> that's the way it goes when you're hunting on a big track. You oh, know yeah. what they're going to have the horns. If you get horns and weight, kind of a bonus, you know? Yeah. It's so certainly, uh, stuff they do. They're rugged critters. And I, it, just when you think you've seen or heard it all, you inevitably find something crazier. So I have no doubt that uh, the stories continue to pile up. And if, you know, if uh, you're out there tracking like Hal and, and his team and, and the people that learn from him, I mean, you're going to see some different stuff. And, and certainly uh, the variety of things you're going to experience, just it just opens up the world to you. And again, no no problem sitting in a tree. And if that's how you enjoy your time, God bless you. Uh, but if you want a full immersion experience, give a, give track and a, a go. And Hal's got a, a ton of knowledge and tons of resources between the books, the website, uh, some of the films he's done. And, you know, before, before we hang up here, uh, the podcast, uh, big woods bucks podcast is out there for your, your downloading and listening pleasure. How, how has that been? You enjoyed doing that? I mean, we're sitting here chewing the fat and talking deer, you know, how's the, how's the podcast been treating you guys and, and the reception there? It's been great. I, I, when we started doing it, Joe is the one that said we ought to do a podcast because he was big into listening to podcasts. Yeah. I didn't even know what a podcast was. Yeah. That's like three years ago. Yeah. So, uh, we got together on that, me and Joe and Lee Libby, and uh, just started doing them. Didn't really know. We said we'd just talk about stuff and then get some guests. 
and it it seemed to take right off because we already had a pretty big following anyway sure. like on the facebook and all that but it took off and people liked it and uh i don't know what we're up to now i'm not <clears throat> chris has a statistic but the last time he told me not too long ago i think we're in the 12,000 range on downloads. That's awesome. Good for I you. guess is pretty good in that world. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that I run into people all the time that, and even not just the young people, which I thought would be the podcast people, is there's guys older that listen. And uh, they all, they all seem to, to like them. They'll, you know, they, and I don't know why, because I, I guess they feel like they're in hunting camp with us. I guess that's that's exactly right. That's that's what's phenomenal and and quite remarkable about the medium. You know, we call it our digital campfire here. And that's exactly what it is, because it's, you know, I joke it's it's, it's for most of it. Our our program, yours likely as well. It's it's unfiltered. It's not hermetically uh, sealed. There's no script. We're just two fellas just BS in here uh, and just yeah. talking about the things we love and that we're passionate about. And uh, I, you know, young folks are hip to the new technology, but uh, the older fellas and gals eventually come around to it because, you know, something that's, that's worth it. People are going to find it and they're going to gravitate to it. And, you know, when you, when you're able to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and, you know, for whatever reason, as human beings, we put people on these pedestals and, and think they're untouchable. And um, yeah, the podcast genre, the the medium itself allows allows for some of that to get knocked down a little bit. It's like, hey, you're just folks out here, and we're just storytelling. And I I I personally love that. And this stuff lives out here, you know, like a good book. Um, you know, until the lights go off and, and the internet for whatever that mega being it is is turned off. I mean, this stuff is out here in perpetuity, constantly telling our stories. Uh, books are nice because they're tangible. You have them, and you know the pages fade, the ink fades, but you know this stuff it's it's here. And and, and anybody uh, with bandwidth and that has a public library or the resources can can consume all of this. And it's there's so much information out there now. And there's so many podcasts and um. It is the next evolution in, in storytelling. And I, I'm I'm happy that you guys plunged into it. I was excited when Chris told me you guys were doing it a few years back and I knew it was going to be success and it continues to be. You guys are up to it's like you got 92 episodes available for download. So um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, the podcast, all these places you can find Bigwood Bucks, the team, how all those experiences, the books. And um, you can go on to bigwoodbucks.com and check out if you ever want to go up to uh, the northern north area of Maine and, and get on uh, a class with Hal. I mean, you, you're pretty well booked up, so you want to get ahead of it. Uh, there is quite a demand for it, but uh, that resource is there as well. Uh, any advice for people that are looking to, you know, come hang out with you and go in that, take that class or um, get the full on experience? Well, like you said, my, my clinic, I call them deer clinics. I do four of them in the spring, sometimes five if the weather cooperates and I get an early one in, but those are all booked for next spring. Yeah. I just, I had people on a list and I think it was all booked when I got organized there in two or three days. And, uh, 
I'll, I'm starting to book the hunts now if anybody's interested in coming either on a guided hunt or American plan hunt where they have meals and lodging and tell them places to go. They can, uh, best way to get a hold of me for any of the stuff is, is the email at email me at hal at bigwoodsbucks.com. And, uh, yeah, you talk to anybody about it or whatever. And, but I just tell people to, Give it a try if you think it's something you're interested in, you know. It's an exciting way to to take something that can become very ordinary and mundane um, and, and turn into just a phenomenal experience. And and who knows, you, you may end up just changing your whole style and, and philosophy on, on deer hunting and um, nothing wrong with that either. Hal, I can't thank you enough for carving the time out. It's a busy time of year, just coming off a of deer season, going into the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and yours. And um, the next time we were supposed to do this in person and uh, well, COVID hit my family. So that screwed all of that up. I'm glad we were able to uh, do the technology of Zoom here, have this conversation. But rest assured, next time uh, we'll we'll do it up there in Jackman in person and um, there's so much more to talk about and, uh, it'll be all new content uh, when we do it again. Sounds good. Hal, thanks so much. I appreciate you. Take care. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Hal Blood for making the time, carving it out. Um, I always enjoy, I've got, I've had the pleasure of knowing Hal for a number of years and, uh, <clears throat> his hunting and business partner, Chris Dalty, um, who hopefully next time we're all together, Chris will be there too. Cause, uh, Chris's insight and perspectives are, are really cool too. And, um, I think, I, th- I just think you guys will really enjoy it. So, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I hope some of you are, are so inspired, um, to take up the, the tracking trade there is there's so much to be had and learned by uh by trying new things and and, and implementing new strategies uh you know i i'm not bagging like i said in the episode on on sitting in a tree uh for me personally it's it's become a thing of boredom so i'm always looking uh for the next challenge personally and a way to stay engaged and i have found that uh, i really personally enjoy this style of deer hunting uh, and it allows me to see so much more of the properties i'm hunting and and ultimately uh, i'm still picking stuff up for the spring which as you guys well know by now that is my biggest focus Uh, i do enjoy deer hunting i do enjoy getting out in the fall woods and seeing the transition especially here uh in the northeast going from a beautiful fall uh late summer to uh bear trees almost frozen tundra and and and, and wicked biting temperatures um certainly offers a, a lot of uh nuance and adventure uh to to something that's seemingly very ordinary uh in in fall deer hunting but uh one more time thanks so much to hal uh, for coming on making the time and thanks to his bird for making a guest appearance uh very, very cool. And uh, maybe we'll interview the bird next time. Uh, guys, this episode uh, is airing. It is the 16th of December. That means 
on our shopnwtf.org e-com site. Uh, you got a day left for free shipping. That offer continues. Our silent auctions for convention are open and, and off and running and very competitive, uh, adding new items uh, almost daily. So if you are engaged in that, make sure you're checking back regularly. Uh, it's all systems go. We are heads down and hyper focused on putting on one hell of a show in Nashville. I can I can tell you that with a hundred percent certainty that your NWTF staff is is working literally day, night, and all parts in between. Uh we missed everybody last year and it, it proves to be uh, a hell of a show here in the next couple of months. So um Book your hotel rooms if there's anything to be had still. Registration should be opening soon. Um, but this is it. We're down to it. Uh, headquarters offices closes Friday. So, um, you know, if you have any business with us for the next couple of weeks, going to be kind of hard to get a hold of folks. We will be back in the new year. And like I say, from then on, full steam ahead to Nashville and then the uh, – kickoff party to to our 50th anniversary and uh, the celebration of 50 years of the national wild turkey federation of your involvement of your your volunteerism your conservation efforts uh, all you have done whether you're a two-week-old member or you've been with us since the beginning and there's plenty of you out there um this is your party so we're definitely looking forward to uh Seeing everybody, safe travels, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for being with us here uh, since the, the relaunch uh, about the end of September. You guys are getting after it. Uh, you're sharing it out. Thank you so much for, for engaging. Uh, one last plug here, subscribe right where available. If there's an, an ability to give a five-star rating, go ahead and fill all those stars in. If, you, if you're so inclined and you got a couple minutes, you can... Uh, thumb pound or hit the old keyboard just say hey great job we love it good guess keep it coming we appreciate that that helps us in the show uh, move up those very competitive demo charts i think there's like some three hundred fifty thousand podcasts now uh when this little project uh kicked off four years ago in 2017 um i don't know what the numbers of podcasts were but there certainly weren't 350,000 roughly uh that number was considerably smaller but um hey it's cool the conversations are out there and and a lot of us in the space are, are having really good conversation and uh thought-provoking conversation so you guys make that successful because you're tuning in otherwise like i say i'm just a guy with a mic just talking into it so thanks for all your support We'll see you in the new year. Be well. Take care of each other. Love each other, guys. We'll see you 2022. I can't believe it's mere days away. See you in Nashville. Take care.